0: Uh, We're in Proverbs, the book that is the container of wisdom for living life, Uh, the book that uh, calls out to us if we're willing to listen so as to help us to live this life more skillfully. It covers many, many topics. The one we'll specifically look at tonight is the one of seeking advice prior to making any serious life decisions. I'll tell you uh, before we get into it that the composition of the book of Proverbs is unique. It contains um, words of wisdom on uh, a variety of different topics, but not as far as we could see in any uh, close-knit order. So sometimes you have pithy sayings about a topic, and they seem to be stand-alone verses. So uh, we're not studying Proverbs from this point on in verse-by-verse order, which I think is ordinarily a a good thing to do, and we're not taking too seriously, um, forgive me for saying this, the context in which various uh, verses in Proverbs appear, because it seems like the writer uh, was not too interested in the context as much as sharing with us a diversity of words of wisdom on diverse topics. So, we're gonna take this topically, and the topic we're looking at tonight is the one I just mentioned to you, and that is seeking wise counsel. The wisdom of seeking wise counsel. And Proverbs, you may be surprised to know, says much about this topic. For instance, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14, I'll just give you a survey. Of what Proverbs says about it. here's the first one. Proverbs eleven fourteen, where there is no guidance, it says the people fall. But in abundance of counselors, or your translation might say advisors, same thing. In abundance of advisors, there's victory. I want to just camp out on this verse just for a little bit till we get on to the next one and let you know that this really is uh, a verse that has application not just to individuals, but to whole nations. In fact, it could be translated legitimately this way, where there is no guidance, a nation falls, but in abundance of counselors, there's victory, which leads me to this thought. I didn't know if you're aware of this, but uh, this is an election year, and uh, various people are interested in the job. And, uh, We don't know who our next president is going to be. I, for one, am praying for the person we do not deserve, whoever that may be. Uh, I'm saying, God, uh, uh, would you be gracious to us? Don't give us a leader who we deserve. Uh, Give us someone who, by your mercy and grace, uh, will lead us in a good way. I'm not sure we deserve that leader anymore or even want that leader. But anyway, that's who I pray for. So I don't know uh, who the president is going to going to be. Neither do you. It's a matter of concern uh, for us, and it occurred to me one of the things we ought to pray for, even if the person elected to that high office is not the person you or, or I uh, would choose, still what we could pray is that that one would surround himself or herself with good advisors. At least that may sort of bail us out <laughs> from big, big, Big trouble. A commentator to this very book of Proverbs, whose name I do not know, made this very profound statement. I quote, history is littered with the wreckage of nations led by leaders who felt so self-confident that they ignored their advisors and made unilateral, autonomous decisions. This is mute testimony to the truth of Proverbs that Multi-faceted counsel is a matter of national security. So while you're praying for uh, the president who you think would lead us well, even if we don't get that one, pray at least that this one would be surrounded by good counselors uh, to whom uh, he or she will listen. So this verse has application to whole nations, leaders of nations uh, ought to seek wise counsel, but so too does this apply to individuals. Every one of us needs to be in the business of seeking advice from wise advisors prior to making sometimes irreversible life decisions. But what if you've done that? You've given a go at it. You're on the verge of making a decision, and you've sought the counsel of those who you've thought to be wise counselors. And what if instead of... um, being uh, uh, clear about your decision, their counsel has only confused you about it because they've differed from one another. Now this verse says, in abundance of counselors, there's victory. Maybe you haven't found victory, you found confusion. This happened to me one time uh, in a glaring way. Now I've shared this with you, so forgive me if, if you heard it, but I think it, it bears repeating, it sort of fits the context. Um, my wife and I were in Germany before we were married. She was in the military. I was a missionary to active duty military uh, folks. That was, that's what I, that's what I did. And we met and we thought that the Lord was leading us together. And uh, I proposed and uh, that is after she begged me. um, I finally caved in and so made it official. And then uh, it occurred to us, we had to consider various things like the issue of birth control. And we didn't know a thing about it, to be honest with you. And uh, so I knew that Christians differ on the subject. We searched the Scriptures, which is where you ought to go first. And I must be frank with you, I I didn't get a lot of clarity on the issue. So then we sought counsel. I was in the midst of leaders in the missions organization I served with. And uh, we traveled sometimes great distances to meet up with men and their wives who we're leaders in uh, this missions organization. We asked them the question, what does the Bible say about birth control? What, what is your advice to us? And when we finished surveying the field, um, it was an illustration of how uh, uh, we didn't go away with victory. We went away with confusion because they were pretty much divided. Uh, half of them said yes you ought to choose an acceptable means of birth control. And the other half said, absolutely not. You ought to just, you ought to just trust God. So we were, we were really confused about the whole issue. And then I realized it's because I misunderstood the whole role of seeking counsel. I thought you seek counsel so that somebody older, wiser, more godly than you will make the decision for you. They'll just tell you this is what you're supposed to do. But that's not the role of counsel at all. The role of counsel is... Uh, for you ultimately to make your own decision, but you'll be wiser and better at it once you seek the input of godly others. And so when my wife and I made our decision, (coughs) we made it uh, understanding all of the different facets of the issue, which we otherwise would not have been familiar with, but because there were these different perspectives amongst godly Christians, we were able to make a much more informed and intelligent decision than we otherwise would have been able to. So that's what it means when this verse is saying, in abundance of counselors, there is victory. Here's another one. Uh, It's in Proverbs uh, chapter 12, verse 15. It says, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel." So therein is a distinct difference between the one termed a fool and the one referred to as a wise man. And I know we would rather be considered wise than foolish. Uh, the, the foolish person is the one who always thinks he's right in his own eyes. He, he doesn't need to seek, he thinks, anyone else's advice uh, because he's just confident about his own decision-making. The wise person, on the other hand, goes about decision-making in a different way, choosing To seek the advice of others, knowing he just doesn't know all there is to know. How about this one, Proverbs 13.10? Through presumption comes nothing but strife, but with those who receive counsel is wisdom. Have you made decisions? You don't have to answer this, of course, out loud. And soon thereafter realized, oh no, I really should have slowed down on this one. I've now started something I can't quickly finish. I'm into something I can't quickly extricate myself from. Oh, if only I wasn't so presumptuous about it. Through presumption comes nothing but strife, but with those who receive counsel is wisdom. There is a more modern day, these are all Jewish proverbs we're reading, here's a more modern non-biblical Jewish proverb on the subject. It says simply, it is better to ask the way ten times than to take the wrong road once. You see, Just practical word of advice. How much trouble and hardship would we have been saved if we simply sought counsel and advice before rushing in to a decision? How about this one? Proverbs chapter 15, verse 22. Without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. And so, folks, the weightier uh, the decision we are faced with The greater the need for advice. Look, if you're laboring over what color shirt to wear when you dress in the morning, I don't think you need a whole lot of counsel for that. But if you're considering a relationship, a romantic relationship, a a change of location or of vocation, an investment of monies, uh, all these things are a weighty decision. And uh, this passage is saying plans uh, are frustrated, Uh, when you make them unilaterally, but there's a higher probability they'll succeed when you consult. Uh, How about this verse, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 18, prepare plans by consultation and make war by wise guidance. Well, this literally means war. Uh, On the other hand, life for many of us is oftentimes like a battleground, and we are wise to subject our battle plans in life to wise counselors. And so the point of all this is that a wise person is not self-reliant. He looks to others for advice and counsel with regard to how to respond to the realities and battles of life. Now, maybe these verses have convinced you of the value of seeking wise, godly counsel prior to making sometimes irreversible decisions. Uh, But but then we're led to another question. Whose counsel do you seek? There are many people who are uh, all too willing to tell you what they think, but how do you know whose counsel you ought to follow. So to answer that question, I want to take the rest of our time by calling your attention to another passage of Scripture, which tells a story from which we'll be able to derive, it seems to me, some very practical application with regard to whose counsel you ought to look for. This is found in Exodus chapter 18, and I'm certain it's a passage most of you are familiar with. Exodus chapter 18. So I'll give you a chance to find it. And we're going to begin in verse 1, slow down in the text a little bit. Again, the sole purpose of looking at this chapter tonight is to derive some principles of a practical kind that give us guidelines with reference to whose advice to seek, whose counsel uh, to, uh, to seek, and whose to avoid. Uh, so here we are, Exodus chapter 18, verse 1. Now Jethro, the text tells us, He's a priest of Midian and also Moses' father-in-law. Well, he heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Jethro, the text makes clear, is Moses' father-in-law. He's a Midianite priest, which means he wasn't Jewish. So please keep this in mind. Moses, you know, was the leader and lawgiver of all of Israel. His father-in-law was a Midianite non-Jewish priest. Verse 2, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law. If you're uh, needing a little extra stimulation as I read through this, count the number of times you read the phrase, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law. Already, this is the second time in two verses we are reminded Of who he is, Moses' father in law. He took Moses' wife, Zipporah, after he, Moses, had sent her away, and her two sons, of whom one was named Gershom, and verse 4 talks about the other named Eliezer. So Moses had some things to do, and it looks like he so trusted his father in law, Jethro, uh, that he uh, entrusted the care of his wife and his two sons to his father in law while he, Moses, had to be away. So verse 5, then Jethro, Moses, here we go again, father-in-law came with his sons, that is to say Moses' sons and his wife, to Moses in the wilderness where he was camped at the mount of God. And he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. And then Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and he bowed down and kissed him and they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. What I'd like to point out here is the warmth of their greeting when they came upon one another. You get the very strong indication that they knew each other well and even trusted each other, father-in-law and son-in-law. In In fact, they had 40 years uh, to get to know each other. And apparently over that time, uh, they developed a, uh, a rather intimate acquaintance with one another and trust in one another. So here, then, is the first principle with regard to whose counsel you ought to seek. It's this principle. Seek the counsel of someone who knows you well and whom you trust. That ought to be obvious, but I think it's not that obvious sometimes to many of us. For instance, have you heard of someone named Billy Graham? Yeah. Uh, would you consider him to be a godly man? Yeah. Yeah. Um, One time, years ago, I had the occasion um, to meet him, a giant. It was in California. It was a conference-type deal. Um, I won't bore you with the circumstances, but it wasn't just me. It was like a bazillion people, but I was one of them who who was having a chance to meet him. What would you say to someone like that? Um, Would you ask him for counsel about a specific personal um, uh, life decision you, you have to make. You, you would think, well, surely if you had an opportunity to have a private conversation with one of the stature of, 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 of someone like Billy Graham, surely you would want him to speak into your life. But, but I'm not so sure that would be a wise thing to do because though you know Billy Graham, what does he know about you? So if you asked him for a specific word of advice about uh, a specific relationship or job or this or that, even though he's a godly man, what does he know about you? And so one of the principles of counsel, it seems to me, is you really have to give people, godly people, a chance to get to know you so that if the time comes when you ever need advice— They can speak intelligently into your life, which leads me to this. This is one reason why we ought to be regular church attenders. I'm preaching to the choir because here we are on Wednesday night. This is one of the reasons why we really ought to get to know each other in a local fellowship and not be estranged from one another because the time may come when you need someone to know you well enough to intelligently speak into your life. So this is the first principle of counsel. Seek the counsel of someone who knows you well and whom you trust. Okay, now continuing back in the text, verse 8 of Exodus 18, Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. All the hardship that had befallen them on the journey and how the Lord had delivered them. That is to say, from Egypt and through the wilderness wanderings. In verse 9, Jethro rejoiced. He's a Midianite priest, but he's rejoicing over uh, the circumstances, the very fortunate circumstances that befell the Israelites. Jethro rejoiced over all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel in delivering them from the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed Be the Lord. A Midianite priest blessed the Lord of the Israelites, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, the one true God. Blessed be the Lord who delivered you from the hand of Pharaoh and who delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. Indeed, it was proven when they dealt proudly against the people. Now we find out that Jethro, who uh, knew Moses with great familiarity and intimacy, we find out Jethro also knew God this way. He was a godly man. Now, folks, though, you could learn from anyone. I know that's the case. You can only receive godly counsel from godly people. That's just the way it is, which leads to principle number two. It's this, seek the counsel of godly people. You ought not seek the counsel of ungodly people when it comes to life-size matters that they cannot in a godly way address. So we find out that Jethro not only had a close personal relationship with Moses, but he also had a close personal relationship with God. Now verse 12, then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and sacrifices for God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law before God. So Aaron and all the elders of Israel came to eat with Jethro in the Middle East then and now. That's a sign of great respect. Again, here comes a Midianite, Midianite, non-Jewish priest. But Aaron and all the elders of Israel drop what they're doing so as to rush out of respect to be in the company of Jethro so as to have a meal with him. They show respect to him, considering him to be a godly man. So the godly leaders of Israel uh, showed respect and consideration for Jethro, whom they considered to be himself a godly man. Now, folks, that leads to principle number three about whose counsel to seek. Seek the counsel of people considered to be godly by godly people. There are many people running around today who make a claim to godliness. I would be very, very careful if uh, their claim to godliness is not confirmed by other godly people. In other words, uh, the person whose advice you seek ought to have a good resume, a bit of a paper trail, a good track record. If you're reading books, listening to tapes, Sending money to someone nobody else considered godly knows of and recommends, you're on very, very dangerous ground. One of the protections from spiritual counterfeiters and frauds is to see who knows them. Who holds them in high esteem? Do other godly men and women recommend this person? Or is this person just out there coming up with new ideas, new thoughts that are not confirmed, substantiated, or supported by a community of other godly people? So we find Jethro here, uh, a godly man, considered to be godly by the godly leaders of Israel. Now verse 13. It came about the next day, Moses sat to judge the people. Now, here's what what happened. The people stood about Moses from morning until evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you're doing? Why do you alone sit as judge? And all the people stand about you from morning until evening. Moses said to his father-in-law, words, because the people come to me to inquire of God. Verse 16, uh, you know, when they have a dispute, it comes to me. I judge between a man and his neighbor. I, I make known the statutes of God and his laws. Well, Moses' father-in-law said to him, now here's his word of advice. He said, the thing you're doing is not good. You're going to wear out both yourself and these people who are with you. for the task is too heavy for you. You, you. you can't do it alone. Now listen to me, verse 19. I'll give you counsel and God be with you. You be the people's representative before God. You bring the disputes to God, then teach them the statutes and the laws and make known to them the way in which they are to walk and the work they are to do. Furthermore, you shall select out of all the people able men who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain, and you shall place these over them as leaders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Let them judge the people at all times, and let it be that every major dispute they bring to you, but every minor dispute they themselves judge. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all these people also will go to their place in peace. So therein is Jethro's advice to his son-in-law, delegate, delegate, delegate. Train up others, delegate, divide the burden of the tasks, save yourself for those situations. Only you could adjudicate and delegate the rest to others. Now, folks, it looks like Jethro's motive in advising uh, Moses this way was a pure motive. It was uh, based on concern for Moses' well-being and that of the people, but that's not always the case. Sometimes those who stand ready to give you advice and speak into your life and guide you and tell you what to do, sometimes their motives are not so pure. So our big job is to ask God to help us to discern the motive of advice givers who are all too ready to tell us how to live our lives. So just to summarize thus far, principle number one with reference to whose counsel and advice you should seek, seek the counsel of someone who knows you well and whom you trust. Uh, Principle number two, seek the counsel of godly people. Principle number three, seek the counsel of people considered to be godly by godly people. And now, principle number four, seek the counsel of people whose motives, as far as you could discern, are pure. Now, folks, I'd like you to notice at this point that in no place in this chapter is it recorded that Moses ever asked for his father-in-law's advice. His father-in-law volunteered it. How do you feel about people who just do that? It's risky. It would have been very easy, you see, for Moses to have rejected his father-in-law's counsel. Remember, Moses is the recipient of the law, which he then gave as the great lawgiver to Israel. He was the leader of the nation of Israel. He could have pulled rank. Jethro was a Midianite, a non-Jew. And not only that, he was Moses. Father-in-law, 13 times if you've been counting. That's what it says. If ever someone is going to be a little defensive about unsolicited counsel, it would be a son-in-law with reference to his father-in-law's advice. There would be a built-in resistance, and yet we don't see it on Moses' part. In fact, it says this in verse 24, Moses listened to his father-in-law and did all that he said. Which leads me to principle number five with regard to whose counsel you ought to seek and what should be the terms. It's this, accept. We ought to be willing to accept the unsolicited counsel of concerned people. Unsolicited counsel. It's very, very threatening to offer it. We're prone to defend against it, to be very resistant to it. And yet it may be the most wonderful uh, word of advice ever received. So this was unsolicited counsel, but from a good and godly man, and Moses accepted it. Now think about this. Um, People give us advice and guidance, and so too does God. Is there a difference? Yeah, there is. Um, The Bible does not command us to submit to people's counsel, it does command us to submit to God's. So God's commands have a level of authority. People's advice do not. God's commands are not optional. People's advice is. It's very important to distinguish the two. Otherwise, you're prone to be enlisted into a cult. I made a big jump there, didn't I? But I mean, that's generally one of the marks of a cult. The cult leader uh, and those who serve the cult leader um, fail to distinguish their words from Almighty God's. And uh, subordinates don't make that distinction either. Whatever the cult leader says, they believe, has the force of authority of God's word. You have to be very Very careful about that. Do you know a cult like attitude can even creep into our conservative evangelical churches? Which is why it says, doesn't it? In Acts, it talks about the people at a place called Berea who were, it says, more noble minded than any other because though they listened respectfully to what their teachers had to say, yet daily they went home searching the scriptures for themselves to see whether or not. What they had heard was true. See, the Bereans made the distinction between what they were hearing from men and women, even good ones, which is optional, and what God says, which is non optional. The only time a a man or woman can speak uh, with the same authority into your life as God is when that person is simply speaking to you, repeating to you what God has already said. Uh, Therefore, you have to be very, 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 very careful uh, uh, about what I would call toxic faith groups or environments, which require that you do things the leader's way. Otherwise, you're subject to discipline. Be very, very careful. When that happens, oh my goodness, you're coming dangerously uh, close to being in a cult-like atmosphere. It could even happen in, in Christian uh, organizations and uh, churches. So be very, very careful. So here's the deal. So, so, so I, w- I want to show you this. So, so uh, in verse 23, Jethro, who gave the advice to Moses, said, if you do this thing, that is what Jethro recommended he do, if you do this thing, now notice this phrase, and God so commands you. You see what wise Jethro was saying? Here's my advice, Moses. If you follow it, you should only follow it if God so commands you. If you don't feel like God is commanding you to do this, then disregard my words to you. When someone says to you, if you don't follow my advice, it's over between us. Wow, that's a dangerous person and you are setting yourself up to be exploited and taken advantage of folks uh, the purpose of counsel again is not for someone to make decisions for you it's for you to become wiser in making your own decisions now if someone is giving you counsel i offered the earlier subject you know um uh upon which christians differ if one of those people required i do things his way or her way or else there would be a consequence they've overstepped my ground and i'm in trouble if i submit to it as if it has the force of god's command it does not so principle number six human counsel is not as binding as divine command when the two are confused you're in a cult. Human counsel is not as binding as divine command. Okay, so we have discussed uh, thus far the wisdom of seeking wise counsel, and we've even considered uh, various principles with regard to whose counsel we seek. I just want to review principle number one, seek the counsel of someone who knows you well and who you trust. Principle number two, seek the counsel of godly people. Principle number three, seek the counsel of people considered to be godly by godly people. Principle number four, seek the counsel of people whose motives are right and pure. Principle number five, accept the unsolicited counsel of concerned others. And principle number six, human counsel is not as binding as divine command. So there you have it. Uh, folks, um, the most oft-neglected resource, in my opinion, that God has given us so as to be better decision-makers is seeking the advice of godly others. He's given us many resources, uh, the Scriptures, prayer, prayer, circumstances, sanctified common sense. We use all these things in making decisions, but I think the most often neglected is asking for the advice of others. Part of it is because it takes a little more effort. We have to slow down the process of decision-making in order to do it. Second, we think it's binding, and therefore we want to avoid it. Well, it's worth the effort, number one. It is not binding, number two. After hearing from someone about their perspective on a decision uh, you have to make, you're free to make that decision of, for your own. So folks, uh, it's really, really important. Uh, a lot of our time here as ministers is spent gladly, and it's a privilege. Nobody's complaining here, but I just want to be honest, is spent helping people deal with the consequences of decisions they wish they never made. they have been in the same boat myself. It doesn't take long uh, after uh, you make a wrong decision to find out it was the wrong decision and then it's a grievous thing because if you simply inserted into the mix a little time and uh, sought out a wise counsel you might have been able to make a more intelligent decision uh, about uh, a life situation that now has irreversible consequences the bible says there is a way which seems right to a man but its end, its outcome is the way is the way of death. Uh, spare yourself uh, that inevitable consequence of poor decision-making uh, by benefiting from the counsel of godly people uh, around you, using these parameters, it seems to me. Now, I want to close with a word of advice, if you would permit me, unsolicited of my own. It, it has occurred to me as I was preparing this, if you have not by faith been joined to the Lord Jesus, who is referred to in the Bible, listen to this, as the divine counselor, the divine counselor. If you have not by faith been joined to Jesus, the divine counselor, do you realize you are cut off from his guidance through this life and into the life to come? That's a very sad thing. You're on your own. That means the giver of life will not be able to speak into your life about how to live it more wisely because you've not invited him to. As big as he is, I find this perplexing about God, as big as he is, he came like a dove. He will not impose himself upon you or me. He knocks at the door of our heart and waits for us to invite him to come in. If you have not yet by faith accepted the divine counselor, the Lord Jesus Christ, as personal Savior. That's where it starts, Savior from sin. You have effectively cut yourself off. I don't mean to hurt you. This is just a statement. You have effectively cut yourself off from his guidance for living life here and from his guidance with regard to the life to come. I beseech you, therefore, don't leave tonight without saying, Lord Jesus, save me from the penalty of sin and save me from the foolishness of my own ways. I'm in a mess, and you might be, even tonight. I'm in a mess, and it's my own doing. I've made so many bad decisions, and I'm living with the consequences thereof. I need help in living life with more skill. You, the giver of life, know best how to do it. Folks, I mentioned this before, I'll say it again. We, across the world, and in America, for sure, have tried the experiment of life without the giver of life. And so we have removed God from the equation. How are we doing? How are we doing? I don't want to send you off on a sour note, but um, I think we might already be, as Americans, under the judgment of God. Um, I think he might already be sending a, um, a deluding spirit Um, upon America I see it with regard to prospective occupiers of uh, the office of president which have popularity beyond that defies reason Um, I see it with reference to the acceptance of uh, the redefinition of marriage which I don't know about you I never would have believed would, would have befallen this country Um, I see it with reference to the uh, acceptance of uh, uh, degrading immorality, the likes of which makes your head spin. I I see it with reference to the heroes our young people are choosing who are not heroic at all. Um, I see it with reference to uh, unbelievably distorted theology in many of our churches and seminaries. Um, it's, it's like a deluding influence. I don't want to ruin things for you, but, um, we may already be under the judgment of God. I think we crossed the line when the, uh, president of the United States authorized same-gender marriage. Once you do that, now I'll, t- I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Um, it is through marriage as a microcosm that Almighty God, um, communicates his interest in being in a covenant relationship with us as bride to heavenly husband. It's a picture. Ephesians 5 says this. When he talks, Paul does, about marriage, husbands, wives, he said, you know, I'm not really speaking about that. It's a mystery. I'm speaking about Christ and the church. So, so, so when we distort that image of God's willingness to be like a husband to us, and, and what's a husband, what's a wife, a male, a female? I mean, so distort that and rob God of his, uh, one of his premier illustrations of what he wishes to do for us. I think we may have crossed the line when, when that happened. And so now you see the most outlandish, irrational, crazy decision-making and uh, arrogance with reference to those who think they can be president of a nation such as this with their history and character and lack of impulse control and lack of experience. And what's most disturbing are the numbers of so-called Christians Who, who are ready, are ready to to see certain ones? You 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 see how uh, the restraint I'm exercising. Uh, I'm concerned. It's an indication to me of a deluding, of a deluding. You know, Israel uh, drifted from God and uh, demanded things apart from His will. And it says in the Old Testament. It says, he gave them their request, but sent a wasting disease amongst them. I think God is giving us what we want, and I'll tell you what we want. Him gone. And I think he says, I'll give you your request, but with it will come a wasting disease. Okay, so all of that to say, I don't know what's going to happen on a national level and all the rest. Um, but the spiritual buck ought, ought to stop and start with you. If you have not personally accepted Jesus, the giver of life, he who rose up from death so as to be the first fruits of life to come, he who is the resurrection and the life, if you've not accepted him, you have personally cut yourself off from his guidance in this life. And from his willingness to guide you and me into the life to come. So, before you or I start looking around, um, weed your own garden. <laughs> Have you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ? Uh, uh, if not, before we take leave of one another, let me invite you to do so. In the back room, the Connection Center, there will be people there. They'll pray with you to help you establish a connection with the Lord, with the Lord Jesus Christ. Really, really, really important. Uh, there's nothing more important as I think about the day in which we, the, the very tenuous day in which we, morally, economically, politically, oh my goodness, wow. Um, I, think, I think the Lord is showing us the outcome of removing Him from the equation of life, and, but, but it's also providing a grand opportunity for some of us to see what's important, what matters. And uh, for many, maybe having become so disillusioned by promise makers and pretenders to the throne and so-called saviors, maybe many, many will find in them an unsatisfied hunger, which can only be satisfied by the bread of life. So in that sense, these are really, really good days. Don't be one. Don't be one who leaves here without saying, Lord Jesus, bread of life, feed me. We can show you what that means before we take leave of one another tonight.